humans, every human, has a natural tendency or a bias to serving self, which leads to sin as God sees it, or evil of every kind. It's anything from selfishness right through to murder. It encompasses everything. We have a bias to that. It's not our fault, but it is what we are saddled with and God offers us a way out of it. But we have to read the Bible. We have to be interested in God. We have not to reject God, which sadly is the order of the day. So let's, let's look firstly at a few examples of the morals of our world, shall we? Here we go. I picked one advertiser because I knew there would be enough in it to illustrate what we mean. So the fourth of this month, this is what I found. The alleged aged care assault on a hundred-year-old woman. And, and there's investigations, governmental investigations going because it's so endemic. That's morals. That's the morals of society. And, and society gets in hor horrific song and dance when they discover it, as if it wasn't there. They knew these things are going on all the time in various different places. What about this young lady? She was a judo star, a top singer, and then she met a bikey. Guess what happened? The morals, the evil, took over. Spirals into crime. I just happened to notice in the paper just this week, she's been sentenced to jail for selling drugs out of a car. A judo star, a top singer. You would think she would be a reasonable sort of a person, but then she met the wrong kind of person and evil simply takes over because we all have that capacity. Every one of us. Adelaide gripped by rental crisis. Here's a young mother with two kids, obviously no father, I assume, and she's in a quandary. She can't get a house to live in because she can't afford the rent because the renters are so greedy. That's market forces, we would say. Well, that's how we disguise what's really going on. It's horrendous to think a mother with two little children can't find a home to live in. Two pages later, we got this man staring at a bottle of Seppel's Grange. Goodness knows what that's going to sell for. Hundreds of thousands of dollars for a bottle of wine? Two pages apart. And we just say, market forces, read on. It's just obscene what man does to man in the name of profit and so forth. It's all really about self. The migrant mayhem. We don't have to read that. We all have seen it again and again. People, ordinary poor people, fleeing oftentimes from their own governments who are trying to kill them or another government that's come into their land and pushes them out. And we see children dying and people scrambling to get out of their place to another place, and that place doesn't want them because they can't cope with them all. But nobody really cares, do they? These are the ones on the bottom of the heap. I chose this a month ago. Afghanistan. Abandoned. The forces, our forces, the Americans and all those went in 20 years later, America's longest war, they can't win, so they're out. 
but they just leave. And they leave behind a man standing outside an empty fort. No one there. Meanwhile, at the beginning of this, beginning of um, July when I did this, Australian soldiers started burning the medals. Do you know why? Because back then they were thinking the American, uh, Australian government was not going to offer asylum to the um, Afghanis who helped Australia and America in the war and that they would be murdered by the Taliban when they got back. And the Australian soldiers were really worried. So they started burning the medals. Well, the Australian governments, they got off their backside and they're doing something. But think about it. War, us going there, us leaving, it, it's all obscene. It's horrendous going to war, but that's the state of things when man does not understand what motivates himself, when he kids himself that, that we're really basically good. No, we're not. Proof, if you're married, are you ever selfish to your wife or likewise wives? Are you ever selfish to your husband, the one you love? Of course you are, because that's your natural tendency to do so. And then there's the money scammers. Enough said, there's no morals there at all. They're just after your money. And then there's the, the AFL Rich 100, the obscene amounts of money that footballers get for kicking a ball around. But look at this. I still can't get over this. 50% of all murders are committed by husbands and wives against each other. Half of the murders that are committed are done in the house by people that are supposed to be in love with each other. Bas people are basically good. We just don't want to face the facts. These are the Lord Jesus Christ's own words. 2,000 year uh, years ago, he said, you always have the poor with you. He was talking to his, to his disciples. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. See what he said? I know you'll always have poor people because no one will ever come to their cause. No government in the history of mankind has ever eradicated poverty because there's no votes in it. There's no real need to do it. So you just gloss over it and the poor continue to get poorer. Is that good morals? Are there any morals in that? There's not. It's just immorality. And what about our current situation, the lockdowns? Think about what's going on in our country right now, in our state, Victoria, New South Wales, rioting against authorities. They don't believe the authorities anymore. They're going to take it into their own hands. They don't want to wear the mask. They don't want to get the jab because they know better. But all the evidence staring you in the face is it's the only choice we've got at the moment to get the jab. So we are now facing anarchy and chaos. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the future. It's arrived. This is the beginning of the future of our world. This is where the self-generation is taking itself. You can say all you like, and you can quote good things that happen. But answer the question, have you ever shown selfishness to someone else, or worse, that's the nature that we bear. And we can do something about it. Okay. Alrighty, so. The Bible prophesied of democracy and humanism 1,800 years ago. You see, God does exist. And he's written our future on many 
on many occasions in the Bible. He talks about democracy and humanism and he also talks about the results of such. Now, we're going to have a look at that in a minute. It tells us the results of the self-generation, the morality of today. The God that people have rejected writes about this development in a most amazingly concise and yet extremely accurate way. I want you to come, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, right down the end, chapter 16. Easy to find, so we won't have a problem. We can all find this quote, right almost the last few pages. Revelation chapter 16. We're just going to look at a few verses. I'll need a little bit of explanation, but I don't think you'll see it, find it too difficult to, to grasp. Okay, we're going, to, we're going to come in at about verse 12. Revelation 16, verse 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Here comes a prophecy of the sixth vial. It's poured out on the river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Three things there. The drying up of the Euphrates. If you know a little bit about geography, you know the Euphrates is a river. And it starts in Turkey and heads down into the Middle East. Right? And it talks about the drying up of this river. This river represents the nation that it starts from and refers to the slow drying up of the Turkish Empire, or what was called the Ottoman Empire. It began in the early 1600s and didn't finish until World War I when the Ottoman Empire was no more. There was just the land of Turkey left. Whereas before, it had gone halfway into Europe, all the way down through Saudi Arabia and those areas, all dried up. That the way of the kings of the East might be prepared. Now, this is a veiled reference which will become unveiled shortly, is a veiled reference to the preparation for the impending return to earth of God's son, Jesus Christ, who will come as king, but you'll notice it's in the plural. He's going to bring other kings with him. He's going to come from the east. It's a prophecy all of its own. Just stow that for a second. Verse 13, it says that, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, Come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Three, notice, unclean spirits like frogs. Well, what are frogs? What would that be doing in here? Who do you know that was known by the title the frogs? If you're old like me, you know that in the First World War, the French army was known as the frogs, even in the Second World War. So we've identified quite simply within this time frame of the drying up of the Euphrates, the drying up of the uh, Ottoman Empire would also come three unclean, God says, spirits or teachings from the frogs. So it refers to the French and the three unclean spirits are the unclean teachings that came forth from the French Revolution in the late 1800s. Liberty, equality, fraternity, or democracy, as we started with. Now, this teaching has been promoted by the political, the religious leaders of the European continent and has grown into what we said today, earlier on, grown into humanism. We don't, have to, we don't have to prophesy that. It's here. We know humanism is here. 
It's just the, the development from democracy. Look at verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. God says, democracy was unclean. Now he says humanism is the spirit of devil. Spirit simply means the teaching, the ideas of demons, that word devils is, or insanity, madness. Humanism is called by God the teachings of madness or insanity. We're beginning to see that madness on the streets where people are just going to do what they want to do and they get in, get into groups to ensure they can do it and they use their phones to gather people together and away they go, a spirit of madness because they're going to spread that disease all over the place and they're going to work miracles, working miracles. They're signs. Miracles mean signs that they can we can see that being fully developed in our society now. And then the results of the miracle-like situation is that teaching is going to go forth to all the kings of the earth. The madness of humanism will affect the whole world. And it is. It's everywhere. The results, it's going to gather them, gather the people of the world to the battle of the great day of God Almighty, as verse 14 finishes with. Man's Mad teaching of putting self first above all will lead to a confrontation with Almighty God through the agency of Jesus Christ who will come to take up his inheritance as an immortal king of the world with his immortal kings coming with him. And they will finally eradicate the cruelty, the violence, the corruption of human rule out of every nation, every society, on the earth. How's that going to happen, you say? Have a look at verse 15 and 16. Behold, this is Christ's own words. Behold, I come as a thief. You won't know I'm here. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Don't be caught up in immorality of any sort. Watch the signs that are going on in the world. He's telling those that believe him. And then verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now everybody knows what that word is. We all know it's some kind of major horrific battle. In Ezekiel, write this down if you haven't heard it before. Ezekiel 38 in the Old Testament and 39 describes the battle and its aftermath. It's horrendous. Revelation 11, verse 15 and 18, describe Christ actually taking over the world and rewarding his servants while punishing mankind at a time when they're actively destroying the world. Everybody knows that's happening. Everybody knows we've got to get rid of the emissions and all the rest of it. Everybody knows in their heart of hearts it's not happening fast enough because there's too much self-interest at company level, at ordinary person level, at government level. It's all self-interest, as it always has been. Mankind, ladies and gentlemen, 
is heading to a face-to-face -face conflict with Almighty God. That's not somewhere you want to be. So does that mean there's no hope? No, not at all. That's what this book is all about. You see, the Bible, this is the book that God wrote. Through his prophets, he told them what to write, and they wrote it accurately. It contains the only hope for individuals. Not groups of people. It has to be an individual thing. We have to think this through ourselves. Who are wise enough not to reject him, but willing to seek. I want you to come with me. We're going to go on a brief but enlightening journey of discovery, looking for the God, the real creator of the universe. And the Bible will unveil for us his perfect moral character and what it is that he has in store for those who haven't closed their minds but are open to learn and find real hope, listen to this, for eternity. Not hope for 70 years, for your mortal life. No, God has a hope for anyone who was willing to come to him that's going to last forever. I just want you to think. People say religious people have closed minds. It's exactly the opposite. We have open minds because we're willing to listen to God and investigate, find the facts, get the proof. Because that's what real faith is. You find the facts in the Bible and you are able to believe them. Just think, just think about Earth's environment. That is trillions and trillions of individual things, all designed, balanced, working together. The scientists know so many things work together. You can't have one without the other, but they will not come to God. So many things, designed, balanced, working together to form a beautiful place for human habitation. Think about the sun and the moon. They're in the perfect position in relation to the earth, designed to work together to give humans an extraordinary place to live. Four seasons, changes. It's not erratic. The four seasons come every year. It's not doing whatever it wants to do. No, it's set. It's ordered. Not too hot, not too cold. And if you shift the earth a little way, it doesn't work. Either burns up or freezes. So it's been put there. The stars, if you could go out at night and see it, that show the vast power and the wisdom and the glory of their creator. We live in a galaxy. There's billions of galaxies out there. And then God has filled the earth with every kind of diverse, unimaginable food supplies to sustain life for people with enormous diversity. Think of the fish of the sea, how many different fish there are. The birds, beautiful to watch. How did those birds know they needed wings to fly when they were on the ground? That's evolution. How did they know that? They didn't, because they were created that way. The animals, the beasts, and all the microscopic creatures, even the bed bugs that God put there to make sure they pick up your little bits of skin that come off your body. This is all designed to work together. All these trillions of life forms are supposed to have created themselves 
by random chance, listen to this, this is evolution, by random chance, no design, no direction. That's what they have to, that's the extent they have to go to to get rid of God. There's no God, there's no design, there's no detail, there's, it just happens. Something came out of the primordial soup. What a load of rubbish. It takes far more blind faith to believe in evolution than it ever would to search out God in this book and get real answers. And what, is, what of the great evolutionary lie? The Big Bang, where it all starts, they say. So something exploded and shot forth into the universe. And as it cooled, all these planets and stars and moons came into being. There are billions of galaxies. We live in one galaxy, the Milky Way. There are billions of galaxies out there. Not solar systems, galaxies. If you looked at our solar system, uh, galaxy, you wouldn't even see our solar system. It's so tiny. So what on earth went bang in the start that could cause all that formation of solid materials? Was it gas? I mean, a massive amount of gas. But that's the lie. What went bang? Nobody seems to ask the simple question. And if there was something has to have gone bang to make the Big Bang Theory a reality. If something went bang, who put it there? The dumbest of all questions. The simplest of all questions. We don't ask. We just accept. Because we don't really care. When I was 30 years old, I didn't either. And there's the truth. I didn't care about God. Didn't know. Didn't care. Too busy doing other things. And one day I said, why in the heck am I so unhappy? I've got a wife that I love, children. And why have we brought these kids into this crazy world? I started to think, and that's what God wants us all to do, ladies and gentlemen, to think, use the brain that he has created us with. You see, the Big Bang is just part of the insanity of humanism. When people dare to make man so important that they don't need God, that they can reject him. Ladies and gentlemen, I appeal to you, open your minds and let God in. Think, weigh up his amazing offer that we're going to briefly look at that's revealed in the word of God, please, because there is very little time left. The world we are all living in is very fast going over the precipice and it won't come back like it is. So who is God? Who is he? Psalm 90, this is Moses speaking here. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, he's talking about God, we're talking to God and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He said, God, you've always been there. Before you created the earth, you were there because you've always been there. You live from ever to ever. There is no beginning. There is no end with God. That, I grant you, we cannot grasp. But he gives us the evidence to prove that he exists. We haven't got time to do that tonight. That's looking at prophecy. Well, we, did, we looked at one prophecy tonight, given 1,800 years ago about what's happening in our world today. Isaiah 45 goes on and says, The Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth. He made it, 
He established it. He didn't create it empty. He didn't do it for no reason. He formed it to be inhabited. You see, God the creator, the everlasting God, formed the earth to be inhabited by people. That's his plan. He's had it from the beginning. It's been in the Bible ever since the Bible was printed. So what is God's plan for the world? Numbers 14, right at the beginning of the book, he says, truly I live. God's making the statement because he was talking to people who didn't believe that he was. He said, truly I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That sounds nebulous. We're going to exp- the Bible will explain what that means. We're going to look and find out what the glory of the Lord is. He's going to fill the earth with it. In another of the prophets, he says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, this knowledge is going to be complete. The only ones that can have knowledge of God's glory are human beings. Animals can't grasp at it. Only humans have the mind, a moral mind, able to receive God's thinking. Almighty God is alive. That's what he's telling us. Regardless of what we might think, he is alive and he's planned to fill the earth with a people who know him and will become his glory. So what's God planned for you now, as well as the future? Now, we're only looking at a few quotes. There is loads of information. In 2 Peter, this is the Apostle Peter. You might have heard of him. He says, through the knowledge of God, God has given us Knowledge. He's called us to glory and virtue. Whoa, that word means God's moral excellence. You see, God really is moral. Whereby is given unto us, here is the phrase you must not forget, exceeding great and precious promises. That's what we really want to talk to you about. Because those things tell us about God's plan in detail and how Anyone can be part of it. He's called us to his glory through those promises, because that's where we start to learn about God's glory. That by learning these things, you can be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Did you see that? We can be partakers of divine, that's God's nature. He lives forever. He is inviting us to eternity with his moral character now is to know God's moral glory. We can do that through the, through the Bible, through those absolutely staggering promises. Luke 21 adds a bit more. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain the new world that's coming, this one's not going to burn up or anything like that. It's just going to be changed completely. Those people that get there, neither can they die anymore. For they are equal to the angels, he says, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. So the future, true believers, see, accounted worthy to obtain that world. We have to know what we believe. True believers will end up like God morally and live forever. Neither can they die anymore. They will live forever. That's God's plan for for now to learn and in the end, receive a reward that's a free gift a free gift so what is God's plan for the world in the future 
with just a little snippet here. Isaiah, one of his prophets. When it comes, this is going to be the order of the day. They shall not, people shall not hurt, nor shall they destroy. In all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's that statement again. One day people are not going to hurt each other. One day people will not destroy the earth or each other. And in verse 10 he says, in that day, this is how it's going to happen, a root of Jesse. That's, that's a, a, a little symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ which shall stand as an ensign of the people and to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. You see, Christ is going to return and he is going to rule. He's going to stand with like a, a massive wave, if you can, uh, flag. And he's going to call all the nations, everybody, individual by individual, come to me because I am going to really look after you. And people will come. The Gentiles will seek. That's us. And his rest Peace on earth will be glorious. That's what he promises. As I said, we are looking just at a few quotes. The Bible is full of what God is going to do. Okay. What a contrast. What a contrast we've just looked at to the crazy world that we are living in. Think about the world you're living in. Do you really think that's going to give you the answers that you might want? So let's let's summarise We've looked briefly at man's increasingly immoral behaviour and its impending reward of anarchy and chaos, ending up with facing a very angry God. And it takes an awful lot for God to get angry, as we will see. On the other hand, we've also looked briefly at how God is calling us to learn of him his glory and his morals by believing those exceeding great and precious promises he has made. That's the beginning place. That's where you ask us, what do I have to do? Those who believe will receive the grand reward, God's grand reward, as I said before, the free gift of God's nature, immortality, to live with Christ, who will be king of all the earth in a completely changed world and it's going to last forever. There'll be no more kingdoms, no more nations when Christ comes. Now let's find out what God is really like so that you can begin to weigh up the worth of trusting in what you know now, trusting in man, science to solve the problems, the social issues of this world going to be solved. That's what they say. You want to trust in that when you can see where it's going or... Let's weigh up and see whether we can trust God and his moral behaviour. The Bible actually lets us look at God's glory and explains it to us. It's really his moral character. His character is moral. It's who we are. I want you to come back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. I want you to come to Exodus, second book in the Bible, Exodus 33. Where the man Moses, he asked God's angels, we asked a particular angel, a man who represented, or an angel that represented God. He was immortal like God. And so Moses asked him a question about God. 
Verse 18 of chapter 33 says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. Show me God's glory. That's what he's after. And the angel said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. He says, it's in the name. His glory is explained in God's name. Okay? Glory is explained in God's name. Now, that's, frankly, that's easy to say. What does it mean? Well, it's just like my name. I'm going to take to embarrassing myself now <laughs> to explain. My name reveals who I am. But it doesn't, I can tell you who I am, but you won't believe me unless I, you get to know me. Then you'll know who I am. It's exactly the same with God. I'm going to explain God's name, but you're never going to really see the power of it until you put it to practice in your own life. So, here I am. I'm a husband of 50 years, one wife. That tells you something about me, doesn't it? I'm a father of five children. I'm a very happy character, very positive, prone to a bit of exaggeration. Some might laugh at that. <laughs> a bit rough around the edges, but that's a little bit of me. Yet, what you might not appreciate is that I am very sensitive about man's inhumanity to man. That's what brought me here 40 years ago. You might not know that about me, but see, now that I've explained that to you, if you got to know me and you said, oh, yeah, I know Phil Bell, you don't have to say the name because you know that my name represents who I really am because you know me. Same with God. Same with God. So, I want you to ask, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. I want you to ask it to yourself. If you don't know God right now, and I know there are several people have come into this meeting tonight that may not know who God is, what would you imagine that God would be like? Young people, ask yourself the question. What do you imagine God would be like? Is he a God of vengeance that the churches preach because humans killed his son? Is he an awesome Mighty, incredibly wise God. An overpowering God. Too hard to try to comprehend. Would he be frightening if we saw him? Perhaps he's uncaring. Totally uninterested. And would he be interested in just little old me? Is that how we might think of God? Or is he a God who just forgives everything? A walkover. He could be any of those, couldn't he? Well... Think about the world you live in. It's really, really important that you do this because time is running out. I want you to come over the page on the next column, right opposite where we were, and here we see God in all his wondrous glory. Verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That's what he said he was going to do. We're going to find out who the glory, what the glory of the Lord is in his name. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. This is God. This is his character. This is his glory. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Okay, let's think about what we've just heard. This is God's moral character. This is who he is. Merciful. That was the first thing. That word means God is very compassionate towards our failings. If you take a look at those words, they all describe how God deals with mankind. This is how he deals with us. His character is pointed directly at us for our good. He is merciful to us, those who are weaker than he. Compassion. He's gracious, the second one was. That's an undeserving divine favour or a free gift in order to save us from ourselves. That's God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to save. He does not want to get rid of us. He does not want us to meet us on the field of battle. No, we are his creation. He loves us. He wants to save us. He's long-suffering. He's very, very patient. He's extremely slow to anger so that we can learn because he knows what we are. He knows that we are prone to do the wrong thing. But he looks after us. He's abundant in goodness. He's overflowing in loving kindness toward us. He is really merciful. And he's a God of truth. To me, when I first started to read this up, that's what was important to me. He can't lie. There's nothing in God that can make him lie. He has no ability to lie at all because he's a God of truth only. He's trustworthy, therefore. He's dependable. He is the answer of stability. Where's the stability in our world? Where's the trustworthy, the dependableness of our world? You could be out of a job tomorrow. He also, in verse 7, says, he keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives all kinds of sin if we ask him. And notice the last bit, but he will by no means clear the guilty. If you're guilty and he knows every man's heart, he knows what we're thinking, then you won't be cleared. I'll tell you what that means for us. We live in a world that's full of the rubbish of evolution. But God says in Romans chapter 1, you can read this, Romans says that God holds us responsible because of the creation that he made that is all around us, it's actually withstanding in his creation. This body he created. The scientists can't make a computer cleverer than this. God says, you're all, everybody that's ever lived is responsible because you can see what I have created. You can deny it, but we are all responsible. So we're all guilty if we turn away from him. Okay, let's have a look at this character. Here it is. Here's God's perfect character. This is how it stacks up. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's loving kindness, full of it. He's very patient. He keeps mercy for thousands, forgives sins. He's the God of truth. But he won't clear the guilty. That's what God says is a perfect character. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of character? Wouldn't you love for your neighbour or your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend to have that kind of character towards you? Staggering. Remember, this is his glory. And this is what God is going to give to faithful believers. 
his perfect and balanced moral character, along with an immortal body to live forever in a revitalised world where being loving, kind, encouraging, patient with others, showing mercy to the faults of others is going to be the order of the day. As God does in the future, believers are going to dispense perfect judgment to those who are guilty also. When people learn God's morals in time to come, in the world to come, they will be filled with God's right ways, or what the Bible often says is righteousness. That will lead to joy and world, real world peace. So, how do God's moral behaviours work out in the lives of believers now? Because that's where we need to be. We need to be checking these things out, thinking what God wants us to do while we discover these incredibly great and precious promises. All right, a couple of quotes. Learning how to be like God now. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Here's the perfect question. Well, it's to fear thy God. Now, I believe there actually is an element of real fear in that because of who he is. He's the creator. If he takes your life, you don't get it back. Fear. But it's also monumental reverential respect for who he is and he says walk in his ways do what God asks because he's not going to ask you to do anything wrong to love him to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your life because he wants to save you and me everybody and he doesn't care what kind what color your skin is he doesn't have the problems that we have here where we go in an absolute frenzy because someone says the wrong thing because we don't understand. We're prone to saying the wrong thing as well as doing the wrong thing. No, we're going to hang him. In Micah chapter 6, another prophecy, what doth the Lord require of thee but to do just, do what's right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with thy God. Think about what you've just read. All these moral actions here put God first and me last. That's absolutely opposite to what the world's saying now. Self, 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 self. You can do it. Go for it. God says that's not the right way. That's the way to end up in disaster. So, in fact, Romans chapter 6 says, there are only two ways. You can either serve God or you can serve yourself. There's, there's no mixture. There's nothing in between. It's not confusing. So we're going to look at the two ways. The works of the Spirit or the works of God. This is in the same chapter. Both of them kind of come up. In Galatians chapter 5, the New Testament, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's ways. Here it is. This is what we need to learn. Love. Oh, this is not just an ordinary love. It's not a pat on the back and say, oh, I like you. No, I really love you. No, this is a self-sacrificing love where you make a decision based on love of God where you might even make a decision that might hurt you. But because it's the right decision, you'll still do it. That's real love. And there's joy. We can learn to be joyful. Gladness means cheerfulness. Being peaceful. Be in a state of quietness and rest. In this world, quietness and rest are you serious? It's just not going to happen, is it? 
Long-suffering. There's God's character right there. Being patient with one another. Gentleness. Gentleness. Moral kindness. A person with integrity. Goodness. Uprightness of heart. An upright life. A man, a woman of faith. Of real conviction. Based on the belief of God's truth, which is in here. It's not a blind faith. No, it's a faith based on the knowledge of, that, of what's in there. And meekness, it's not a sad term. It means just humility, willing to be taught. Temperance with self-control. Think about that. Wouldn't you love to be that person? Wouldn't you love to have your wife or your husband to be self-sacrificing his love towards you? It's joyful when he comes home. He comes home to a place of quietness and rest. He's long-suffering. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's not full of booze and all the rest of the stuff that goes on today. He's gentle. He's a man of integrity. Good, upright life. A man who loves the things of God and only wants to do what's right. And he's humble enough to learn. And he has self-control. You can apply that to men or women. Makes no difference. Look at the last few words. Against such there is no law. You do not need laws if you act like that. Because you're never going to hurt anyone. You're only going to do good. Now here's the other side. Oh that's a couple of other quotes if you want to take them down. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to 8. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 9. There's stacks of them. That's just a few others that say the similar kinds of things. So here's the other way. The works of the flesh the Bible calls it. This is man's work. This is what we are all prone to do if we discard God's way. See, it's the two verses that come before, three verses that come before the ones we just looked at. Here's the works of the flesh, and that means sensual, animal ways. They are manifested, they're revealed by how people act. Adultery. That's almost, that's almost too easy now. Fornication. That's sexual actions with anyone else. That's now legal. Ten years ago it wasn't. But it is now. See, God knows us very well. Uncleanness. A lack of morals. People with a lack of morals. Lasciviousness. Uncontrolled lust. Think about the people you know. Think about your own lives. Idolatry. Worshipping false gods. Oh, the footy gods. Whatever. Witchcraft. That's witchcraft, but it also includes the taking of drugs, as it did in those days. Hatred. Hostility. <laughs> There's no... People aren't hostile, are they? No. Variants. People contentious these days. Emulations. They have a zeal for doing the wrong thing. Wrath. Strife. To put self forward. Causing strife. Seditions. Causing divisions. Heresies. Choosing to be in little sex that you can pick up your phone and you get a few mates together. Let's go do this. Envyings. Murders. Drunkenness. Reveling. All night drinking parties. And such like. There's this world. That's you and me, ladies and gentlemen, if we choose to walk away from the moral character of God. And look what the Apostle Paul, who wrote Galatians, says. I've told you also in time past that they which do these kinds of things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those great, exceeding great and precious promises we showed you, just as a title, another way of saying the kingdom of God. You see, when Christ comes, he's going to set up a worldwide kingdom where all 
those wonderful things of the fruit of the Spirit are going to be taught to people and they're going to love it. God actually warns us about the evil of man's heart. In Mark, this is Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples and therefore anyone who reads the Bible, he said, that which cometh out of a man, that's what defiles him. There's the immorality. For from within, out of the heart or the mind of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. That's the immoral behaviour. Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness. That's pornography. Deceit, using guile, lasciviousness, uncontrolled lust, an evil eye, blasphemy, speaking evil against God, pride and foolishness. All these evil things, Christ said, comes from within the heart, within the mind. And that's what causes all our problems. This is what we are prone to think and do when God's morals are simply disregarded because that's the default position. Think about the world you live in. Is that really true? It is. Think about your own life. Are you selfish? Of course you are. It's the way you're built. But God offers a way out because he wants to save us. So, what about God's son then? Well, we can also see God's moral behaviour in his son, Jesus Christ. The man that is destined to be king of the world in the future. He, in fact, is our example of God's moral behaviour. Here's a quote. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, God, who in different times and various ways, in times past, spoke to the fathers of Israel, that is, the Old, Pro Old Testament uh, is written for Israel, it's their history, by the prophets of Israel. But he says, but in these last days, the times of Christ, when he walked upon the earth, and he is a historical fact, you can't get rid of Christ. He's a historical fact and we can prove it to you. Have in these last days spoken unto us by his son, who he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he has regulated the ages of man. So the ages that we have lived through, mankind has lived through, have revolved around God's purpose with Jesus Christ. You see, because he always knew before it started what man would do. They would disobey him and he always knew that he would have to rescue us. And he also, also knew that not many bother would bother to listen. Verse 3. Jesus Christ is the brightness or the reflection of God's glory. The express image is like a, a stamp. His character is like a stamp of God. It's the same thing. God's son is like, just like his father. Look what he did. He upholded, upholding all the things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, not his, our sins, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. He went to heaven. He purged our sins because he knew our character. He knew what we were prone to do. The only way to save us is for a man to come, mortal, just like us, and not sin. Imagine the challenge of that. And he did it to save us. But we have to read about these things. We have to be convinced of these things. That's why this book's got 1,500 pages in it, to give us the information, to know what has been done for us. By Almighty God. Jesus Christ has already received his reward. 
Matthew 28, he's talking to his disciples. Just before he went into heaven, he said, all, not some, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. What he's really saying is, I'm coming back because I've been given my reward of all power. He's now immortal and he's coming back with all the power of God to change this world for the better. In 1 Peter, he, we are told he is our example. He, he walked on the earth and we're told he's supposed to walk in the same footsteps as him, or try, given our character. Ephesians 2 says, we have no hope without God, without Christ, and without those promises, those great and precious promises, is the only hope that God... And what? One, no confusion. Not like this where we can have a dozen different ways to do the same thing. No, simple. One way. Just find it. Simple as that. Any Christadelphian in this hall can help you do that. How will God's moral behaviour be seen in the future when Christ will be king? We're going to go now... We're not going to read Psalm 72. We've already read it. I'm going to summarise it for you simply because our time is gone. Psalm 72, it's a, it's a psalm. The whole psalm is about Christ's reign on earth. Verses 1 to 7 talk about, here's a heading if you like, Christ's righteous reign will refresh the earth with peace. You see, Christ is going to crush the oppressors. That's what's in these seven verses. The arrogant, the uncaring, the rich, the powerful. And defend, look at this, and defend and deliver the poor and the needy. You have never seen a government like this government. It's the only one that will actually do the right thing. Verse 8 to 11. Christ's dominion, that's his power, the extent of it, will extend to all lands and involve all peoples. And there'll be no escape because his rule is going to be wondrous. All enemies, kings and people of the nations will submit to him and worship him. Initially, they'll be made to submit because they're going to be so self-consumed they won't understand the goodness of God's or Christ's reign, but they'll soon come to it. Verse 12 to 14, Christ will plead the, poor, the cause of who? The poor and the needy, the impoverished, the helpless, that's who that is, will finally have justice and they will be elevated. So the rich and the famous are going to come down like this and the poor, so there's going to be equity in the world. Christ's government will do that. Only Christ's government. Verses 15 to 16, the prosperity and the peace of Christ's reign will yield prayer and praise. You see, the effects, once people experience Christ's rule, it will bring prosperity for all, which in turn is going to, people are going to say, wow, how come we didn't know this? We've inherited lies from our fathers. They're going to be so thankful. They're going to pray to God because of Christ's government and of every nation. Verse 17, all nations will be blessed in Christ's name. Christ, the eternal king, will give people real hope. This is the mortals in the kingdom to come. The blessings that will come from believing those promises of God that are preached in his name. You see, God's, God's plan and purpose is this. It says it's the gospel, the good news of the coming kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. It's going to be kept on preaching in that kingdom. Verse 18 to 20. Praise to God for the glory shall, for his glory shall fill the earth. Here it is again. God will fill the earth with people who reflect his glorious character forever. And then praise and blessing will ring out to God 
who is the God of Israel. Now, that's a subject all on its own. But that's a little bit of what Christ's rule will be like. One more. Isaiah 2, classic. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow it. Christ is going to build a temple where people from all nations are going to willingly come to worship God. Look, verse 3, many people shall go and say, come, let us go. Hey, why don't we go up to the temple in Jerusalem? And worship God. Oh yeah, great idea. Couldn't think of anything better. He's been so good to us. And so they will flow up to it. He'll teach us his ways. They won't be worried about learning. They'll want to learn because they will have experienced those wonderful characteristics of mercy and grace and so forth. And we will happily walk in his ways. Because the law is going to go from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All they will need to know will come out of that one place where Jesus Christ will dwell. And look what he'll do. He'll judge among the nations. He'll rebuke many people because they'll need it. And they shall, he'll make them beat their swords, the weapons of war into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Agriculture is going to be the name of the game in the king to feed people. Look at this. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. No more war. Not only that, but neither shall they learn war anymore. Real peace. Can you imagine that? Well, that's what Christ, God is promising through his son. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to come to the very last page of your Bible. The very last. Revelation chapter 22. Because we are now all choosing what we're going to do. We are actively choosing. By doing nothing, by walking out of here tonight and doing nothing, we're choosing to go with the world. If we choose to go with God, well then Christ has something for us. I've got it on the screen, but I wanted, to, I wanted you to read it in your Bible. Revelation 22 verse 11 and 12 says... This is Jesus Christ's words. The last words, and this is where the plot is freely put out there. He that is unjust. He that doesn't want to do the right thing. He that just wants to do what he wants to do. Or she wants to do what she wants to do. Keep doing it. He which is filthy. He which is immoral. Doesn't want God's ways. Keep doing it. Simple. There's your choice. Well, there's one of them. But he that is righteous, someone who's trying to develop God's moral ways, even with the propensities we have, because that honours God. Let him be righteous still. He that is holy, he is separate from the evil of this world, or tries to stay separate. Be holy still. You see, now comes a very personal appeal from God's son, Jesus Christ, in the next verse. He says, behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. It's either meet God face to face on the mountains of Israel and you will not get through that or you can choose God. My reward is with me. Immortality is there. To give every man according as his work shall be. We have a choice. 
now to place our trust in an increasingly violent and chaotic world or place our trust in Christ now and start to learn God's ways, start to learn that gospel and in the future, life forever with Christ, with, that, with God's morals stamped in our own hearts. In the future, we can help him rule the world, teaching the mortal populations God's moral way of life, God's righteous ways, where every decision will be right and the people will gladly learn and willingly follow Christ's worldwide government. Or we can go on in this world as it descends into chaos to eventually meet Almighty God face to face when he will punish those who refuse to recognise him and obey him because he will not clear the guilty and we have his creation all around us. We are part of that creation. This body, this mind is part of God's creation. We all have a choice. It's an individual one, as we said tonight. Any Christophian in this place can help you understand the book and understand what God wants. It's a wonderful thing to go through. I commend it to you.